Please be seated. Our reading today, scripture text, will be Genesis chapter 22, almost all of it, verses 1 through 19. Hear the word of God. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young, young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you again. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he took, his, uh, he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father... And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Then they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy and do not, uh, uh, or do anything to him. For I know that you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by the, by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide, as it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided." And the angel of the Lord said to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. O Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your inspired word. We pray that you would work your holy will through it. Lord, make us more like Jesus. Make us walk more faithfully and love you more fully. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Barry Goldwater 
in his nomination speech when running for President of the United States, famously declared, extremism in the pursuit of liberty is no vice. Well, he lost that election. Too many people, I guess, thought he was uh, an extremist. I did not get involved in that campaign. I was two years old and busily occupied with things in Canada. But what he meant by extremism sheds light on what Genesis 2 says about your walk with God. We have many good things. We buy them, we set them aside, we for them, set time aside for them. And some things are the greatest good to which we devote our lives. And then, of course, there is the greatest good, that pearl of great price. Uh, This is the extremism that Senator Goldwater was talking about. Not blowing up buildings, but a complete, lifelong, life-deep devotion to a true and beautiful good. He did not have Jesus in mind, but uh, we do. Unashamed, undistracted devotion to Jesus, the righteous King of heaven and earth, the, great, the pearl of great price himself. In this sense, Abraham, the father of the faithful, right? The faithful, that's you. Abraham was a religious extremist. Over the last 20 years, we've been plagued by religious fanatics, people blowing themselves up, flying into buildings, killing randomly. And since the, uh, the ISIS caliphate was crushed, there, we haven't heard so much about them, so much. The important difference, however, between Abraham and these jihadists is that Abraham's God is true. And that's a radical claim, that your God is true, it decidedly denies all other gods. And you might say, well, well they, all, they all say their God is true, right? <laughs> yeah, but Abraham's God is not only true, he is also righteous and holy. And Abraham is made in the image of this righteous and holy God. And God calls him to walk, to live, according to the standard of that righteousness. He says, walk thou before me, and walk before me, and be thou holy. But his God is also love. He loved Abraham, and he loved the nation Abraham would become, that he would make of Abraham. And then through Abraham's promised descendant, he would love all nations. But this loving, righteous, and holy God is no skipping in sunshine softy. He makes radical demands, but the radical of his demands are rooted in the holiness. Yahweh is an extremely holy God, and he calls his people to an extreme devotion. Think of the first commandment. Uh, Elder Farkas read the Ten Commandments. We all know the first commandment. Uh, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. No other gods. Uh, Maybe just little gods that might creep in the edges and little idols that, you know, hey, everyone does it. No, no other gods. 
Very exclusive. And then the summary, we all know the summary of God's law. We know where to find God's law in uh, the five books of Moses, and, we, and the summary of that law is the Ten Commandments, again. But the summary of the Ten Commandments, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbors yourself. That first half of it, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and, and all your strength. All here means all. Leaving nothing behind. Radically exclusive. Is God an important part of your life? He should not be. Right? He is all of your life. This God will not be anyone's part-time God. Back when I was in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, one of the kids said something everyone thought was wise. I guess it sounded wise. He says, God, God just wants you available. Right? God just wants you available? No! <laughs> you are not God's Uber. For you live over here in your life until he calls on you for some help and then you leave your life and your business and you come over and you do, what do you want, God? I'm here for you. Not at all. He wants all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. He wants you radically devoted to him. He did not create you so he could have you on call. He did not redeem you as a kind of timeshare for whenever he comes around. God will not be received on anyone's terms but his own. And that's okay. We're fine with that. Because he's God. He's the righteous and holy creator of heaven and earth. And he's worthy. So this brings us to our text. God here, this God, makes a radical demand on Abraham. He says, sacrifice your son. Now, only a religious extremist would do this. But Abraham understood that if God tells you, then you do it. And this is not simply bare obedience, the sort of bare obedience that a slave offers to a slave master. You're in charge. I'm not. You have absolute power over me. Uh, and, and, and I'm under your absolute power, so I'll obey you. Uh, it's not like that. Instead, he, ob he obeys him. A, yes, because he is God and I'm Abraham, but also because Abraham trusts him. This is, this is Genesis 22. Earlier in Genesis 18, God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham comes before God with questions. And he says, would you destroy these cities if there were 50 people, 50 righteous people left in this city? And God said, no, I would not. I would spare it. I'm a fool to speak, but I will speak again. If there were 40 righteous people in this city, uh, would you destroy it? And then, and then he goes down to 30 and 20. I, I believe he goes down to 10. And then he leaves it there. He's satisfied that God is righteous. And he says, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Of course he will. So this is the relationship. God, Abraham. Abraham trusts God because he knows that God is good and he loves him and he's righteous. And God knows 
God knows that what he is demanding here of Abraham is radical. And he even emphasizes it. Look at verse 2 in the text. He says, Take your son, your son, your only son, whom you love. And throughout the story, the relationship between Abraham and Isaac is emphasized. Look at verse 6 through 8. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took, his, he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. And he took his, in his hand, oh, the, uh, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. This is prominent. Sending Ishmael, his son by Hagar, away was hard for Abraham. Uh, this is much greater. And God says, sacrifice your son. Kill him with your own hands and burn him. God knows what he's saying. And Abraham obeys. And he obeys promptly. Look at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning. This is not easy. He didn't rise early and say, well, first breakfast. And then say, okay, well, Oh, look, it's time for second breakfast. And then, is it lunchtime already? And then before you know it, it's, it's dinner time. And then, well, a good night's sleep would, would be a good thing. This happens elsewhere in the Bible with something else. It does not happen here. He rose early in the morning. And it seems natural to cut the wood first, even maybe the night before, and then saddle the donkey in the morning. But this is not what he does. He saddles the donkey, then cuts the wood. Because the wood has this intimate relationship to the son he is called to sacrifice. So he puts that off until the end, even after saddling the donkey. At the same time, Abraham is confused as you would expect him to be. He's trying to reconcile God's promise with God's command. God promised a son, and he promised a nation through that son, a, 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 a miraculous provision of that son. And then he takes back the son of promise. He gave him the child of hope, and then he kills the hope. Why? He doesn't understand. It makes no sense, or at least it makes no sense to Abraham. God promised, and he would not break his promise. But with, when God commands something, he means it. But the command reverses the promise keeping. But Abraham knows what we know. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He knows the big picture. He knows the beginning and the end. And Abraham, like us, we just know the part of it. We don't know how it all works out. We know God is good. We know he keeps his word. 
and we obey even when things don't seem to fit together. God doesn't owe Abraham or anyone an explanation. Abraham knows that. We know that. So Abraham proceeds in faith. So he takes the knife and the fire and the wood and his son to the mountain. Certain of this, he says, verse 5, I and the boy will come again to you, he says to his young men. We'll, we'll come back, the two of us. And he answers Isaac, God will provide for himself the lamb. He doesn't know how either of these things will happen, but he's pretty sure, he's sure, he says, will come to you again, will provide. That is trust. He's not sure what it all means, but that is an extremely, an extreme faith in an extremely holy God. Fellow saints, this God, your God, is holy. You can't put him in a box. He is the God of all boxes. You can't put him on your schedule. He is the Lord of all time. Let's say you have a dog. I know some of you have dogs. We should have a bring your dog to church day so we just know who has a dog. But it's unlikely to happen. So you have a dog, right? You get up in the morning, you play with your dog, you feed your dog, you walk your dog, and then you move on with life. For some people, they treat God that way. He's important the way your dog is important, and Sunday morning worship is something like walking your dog. But though your dog is lovable and valuable, God is not your dog. He's holy. And though your dog makes demands on you, this God makes total and radical demands on his creatures. Or think of something you, uh, you love even more and spend even more time with. Say, your phone. Huh? You need directions. You need to know something. You need to get something. You pull out your phone. Is God that way with you, close, always close to you, but always just in your service? The Lord is not your device. But let me hasten to say, you are not His device either. You're His image bearer. You're His precious redeemed, His jewel, His beloved child. That's not a device, something that is just used. He loves you. He has given you all things. Naked, you came into this world. Naked, you will depart. Is there anything that he has not allowed to take back that he has given you? Is there anyone you do not want him and that he may not take back? This God demands a lot but he gives far more. He gave his one and only son, whom he loves. What burden, whatever burden he calls you to bear, he has borne more. Whatever good he calls you to sacrifice, he has given more. The point of the story here is not what Abraham gave up for God or was prepared to give up for God. It is Abraham's radical faith in a radical Savior.
Genesis 22 points you to Christ. He is the one who died for us. He is the Lamb of God. God has provided for those who walk by faith, even by the weakest faith. Abraham showed the height of his love for God by offering his son as commanded. John 3.16, we read, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. As Isaac carried the wood of his sacrifice, Jesus carried his cross to the mount of sacrifice. Abraham's son, Isaac. Think of this. Isaac's there. He's in the picture, but he doesn't seem prominent. We've got Abraham in the picture. Abraham's faith. Abraham doing this. Abraham being called not to. But in amongst this, there's Isaac, who is going willingly to the sacrifice. He's not wrestling. He's not trying to run away. He submits. Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Isaiah 53 describes both Jesus and Isaac. Each of them was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. God substituted a ram in Isaac's place. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is our substitute. John chapter 1, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hebrews 11.19 says that Abraham, in a sense, receives Isaac back from death. Jesus, sorry, God the Father raises Jesus Christ from the dead. And all of this happened, verse 14, on the mount of the Lord. In 2 Chronicles chapter 3, we're told that Moriah, Mount Moriah, is Zion. It's the Temple Mount, the Temple Mount where the Lamb was sacrificed every day. And it overlooks Calvary. So in a sense, Jesus is sacrificed on this mountain. God promised Abraham, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Much more so than Isaac, Christ is the blessing not only to Abraham, but to all the nations. Abraham, Genesis 22 means Christian faith. It points to saving faith. When I was like 18, 19, 20 years old, I was exploring Eastern mysticism. I'd never been to church in my life, but I'd heard about church, and I knew what lay more or less vaguely what lay behind Christmas and Easter, as I knew that there was a God. And but I was off exploring Eastern mysticism. Why? Because I, I wanted a God that would be big and central. I wanted God had to be the one, the, the self-existing center of all things. And if there is a God, and I'm sure there was, he couldn't be any less than that. And nothing else was worthy of the name God. But then, later on, I went to church. <laughs> Presbyterian church, a Reformed church. Uh, as it happened, but in the gospel, I found that not only was God something I wanted, God wanted me, and He wanted me to be righteous and holy for Him, and He sent His Son to die and rise for me. I could never have anticipated that. I could never have laid that out in advance 
as a requirement. God, if, if, if you're there, you'll do this. How could I possibly do that? But once I learned it, I saw that every other religion, every other hope, every other life was just silly by comparison. This radical Savior demands a radical faith. If there were another way to peace with God, He would not have given His Son, His only Son, whom He loved. And having saved you in this way, the only way He could have saved you, is there any part of your life that you will not wholly devote to Him? Polite society sees this total devotion and sees religious extremism. And they say, religion's fine, okay? If it gives you comfort, if it gives you meaning in your life, but don't go overboard. But what they don't understand is this. They don't see their own radical sin and God's radical love. As this hymnist says, love so amazing so divine demands my life, my soul, my all. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, our sin is like the ocean, uh, like the ocean of stars above us is our sin because we have sinned against the immense, the infinite God, the infinitely holy God, and so in proportion is our sin. How could we be saved from such an expanse of sin, such a depth of sin? But Father, you did, and it took this radical gift, the death and resurrection of your Son. In return, how could we say no? How could we say no with our lives, with all our heart, all our mind, all our strength, all our lives. Father, we pray that we would, you would open our eyes to ever more of our lives that need devoting to you, uh, ever, ever deeper understanding of what following you means, what faith, walking by faith means. And Father, we thank You for Your patience. We thank You for Your saving love, Your sanctifying love, and the confidence we have in Jesus that we'll be perfect in Him one day. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.